Good morning and Happy New Year. It is uh, good to be together this morning. Thankful to uh, be together to worship the Lord. If you are new here with us this morning, we want to especially just say welcome. We are uh, really glad to have you with us and would love to meet you after the service. Uh, you can st- uh, step up to the front, meet someone up here, a pastor or elder or outside at the Welcome Center as well. So uh, glad to have you with us. And for all of us, we begin each week by reminding ourselves of these words on the wall that at Grace we want to be a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. That is uh, what it's all about, and we want to do that this morning. So with that, let's begin our service by reading from God's Word. If you're able, please stand with me, and we're going to read from Psalm 98, the first three verses. Psalm 98, the first three verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And Father, we want to praise you and thank you and worship you this morning that you have worked salvation, that you have made your righteousness known, um, especially in Christ, in his coming, and in his righteous life, and in his sin-bearing death and glorious resurrection. Lord, we want to worship Christ this morning, and we want as, as a church, as your people, to increasingly be a community in which the glory of Christ shines. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives uh, through your word this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you please remain standing and let's worship together this morning. With each breath he's given, praise the Lord. In these times we live in, we will praise the
Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Ephesians 4 with me, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6 together. And we'll remain uh, standing as we do that out of honor for God in his perfect, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient word. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. You may be seated. And as we uh, go to the Lord in prayer right now, I'll just mention that we want to pray especially for one of the missionary uh, couples that we've supported for a long time at Grace. That's uh, Ted and Kaylin Offit. They are serving with Encompass and have recently moved into the role of coordinating church planting in Asia. And so uh, they're based in the U.S., but training and, and initiating and sending people uh, to different places uh, in Asia. And so as we pray, we'll pray for them. And... Um, Let's, let's pray together. Father, we, we want to come as your people and acknowledge that everything in life has its source in you. All things come from you. Lord, um, you are the one who's over all, through all, in all. Uh, Lord, you are worthy of all of our worship. And we, we know ourselves well enough to know that in so many ways our our lives drift away from the worship that, that you are owed um, and is your due. Uh, we love ourselves. We go after things that make sense to us instead of obe- uh, obeying your word. And so, Father, we, uh, we confess this morning that in many ways our sins rise up over our heads. And we need the mercy that only Christ can bring. Um, Lord, we're so thankful that you sent your son at the perfect time into the world to take flesh, to live perfectly on earth, to die a painful and humiliating death in the place of sinners like us, bearing your wrath against sin, and then to rise again so that your people might have hope in life. Lord, all of our hope, all of our hope is is resting in Christ. There is no one else who could uh, forgive all our debts, who could give us peace with you, who could bring us to a place of experiencing true life. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've come so that we might have life and life to the full. And Lord, we know that for those who've, those of us who have trusted in you, we know that life, and we're so thankful that you've brought us into a place where we can actually walk with you and know you and have uh, freedom from sin and continue to grow towards that. So Lord, we praise you and thank you. Uh, we want to ask that as uh, we continue to seek you, Lord, that you would bless Grace Church of Orange with uh, a life as a, as a body marked by what Paul writes about in Ephesians 4, that we would be a people who walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've called us. Lord, that your spirit would be at work to bring us to increasing um, heights of unity, that, that our lives would reflect the unity that Christ has purchased for us, that our lives would be marked by humility and gentleness and patience and love and peace. Father, only you can do this in a people, and we thank you that you've already made provision for it in Christ and in sending your spirit, so we just pray that we would continue more and more to reflect the life that you've called us to live. 
Lord, we want to pray for the office right now. We're, so, uh, we're thankful for them and their years of faithfulness and service. Uh, we pray that you give them wisdom as they have a, a multi-factored, complicated role in terms of uh, initiating church plants in Asia. Lord, we pray that you would uh, direct them and guide them towards initiatives that would be uh, wise and good steward, uh, stewardship of the different resources and people that are under them. We pray for their training efforts that you would be raising up through their ministry, young people who know you, who love you, who are committed to uh, the sufficiency of the gospel and would be well equipped to plant healthy local churches in Asia. And we pray for that uh, continent, Lord, that many people would turn um, and continue to turn from idols to serve you, the uh, living and true God. Lord, we're thankful for uh, your mercy towards us and your love. Thank you that you've called us out of darkness and into the light of Christ. We pray that he would receive glory among us in, uh, in our time together this morning. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Would you once again stand and we'll sing together.
desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name.
Oh
Lord God, we thank you so much for your grace that just overflows towards us. Lord, you are so good and so holy and merciful. Lord, we praise you that you gave your son who lived a sinless life, being God in human form and humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross, that we can be reconciled to you. Lord, please help us to see you for who you truly are in all of your glory and your holiness this morning, Lord. We ask that we would be receptive to your word. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The most important things in life should be stated and restated over and over again. Uh, we repeat the basics to our kids. Tie your shoes, brush your teeth, make your bed, don't whine. I used to have to tell our youngest of five, no, you cannot cry to get that. I have to say that many times. You don't cry to get it. So we repeat things over and over again that are very important. What if you had to boil the Christian life down to, to one phrase you could put on the head of a pin or etch on a grain of sand? What would you say? Today I would say this, love Jesus and practice Ephesians 4.3. Love Jesus and live Ephesians 4.3. Live one of the most quoted and least practiced verses in the Bible. It's the last day of the year, a good time to revisit or reset some priorities as we look at Ephesians 4, verse 3, willingly walking worthily and being eager, here's the verse, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Maybe one of the most recognized but among the least understood verses in the Bible. Ephesians 4.1, it describes the Christian life as a walk, and we, we know what that means. It's activity, it's, it's movement, it's progress, living worthy of your calling in Christ, Christian, moving in the right direction, if you will, and it is only possible because God restored unity, peace that existed before sin, before the fall. And what the Christian finds out, those who are trusting in Christ finds out, that you were chosen before the foundation of the world, elect, predestined to be adopted into God's family, having obtained an inheritance, and you're indwelt with the Spirit of God. And that Jesus, who died for us, broke down the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. Some of you have trouble getting along with the people in your own family, what about getting along with mortal enemies? And what Ephesians 4, 1 to 6 is urging the church is, you live this unity in love. Live it in love. This is authoritatively commanded. Verse 1, he says, I urge you. He's literally saying, I, I'm authoritatively commanding you. I'm calling you to live what you believe. It's a strong appeal to action from someone who carried authority over his audience. He, he's saying, listen to me. I have authority over you in the Lord, and the Lord is speaking through me. These are his words. 
And it's a loving authority that demands obedience. And he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This irrevocable calling by God's irresistible grace. Verse 1 is transitioning from the first half of the letter, focused on doctrine related to redemption, leading to exhortations that are calling for obedience, strong obedience, solidly anchored in Christ-centered theology and doctrine and then seeking to live the faith that we profess. It's where the rubber meets the road. And so verses 2 and 3 describe how we must live God's irrevocable calling. Really with four symmetrical expressions. The first is walk humbly and gently. Just put the two together. Humbly and gently. Low thinking. uh, Strength under control. Which, by the way, was ridiculed by the world when they first saw it in, in Christians in the first and second centuries. And the idea is don't be overly impressed with your own importance. And second expression is walk with patience. This persistent conviction, this faithful endurance, even in difficult circumstances. And then third, bear with one another in love. Forbear and put up with annoyances. Willingly accept one another. No, no grudging acceptance, no grudging tolerance, but a kindness. In Colossians 3.13, he says, bear with one another, forgive each other, even if you have a, a complaint against one another. And then fourth, where we are today, eager to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's the goal that the other three phases are pointing to. You need low thinking. You need humility. You need gentleness, strength under control. You need this patient forbearance in love if you're going to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And it's a bridge even into the next three verses after that, this emphasis on oneness, where the the term one is used seven times in 34 words. It even transitions even into verses 7 to 16, where unity in the church in the midst of diversity of gifts is being pointed out. We know what unity is. It's, it's oneness, it's togetherness, it's, it's something that unites people together. It's, it's, you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and therefore with, in unity with every other believer. Jesus prayed that everyone who would believe in him would be one. He says in John 17, 21, Father, that they would be one, make them one, just as you are in me and I in you. And what you find as you think through this idea of unity is that in Christ it has two aspects. There's an objective fact of it, but there's the subjective experience in local churches. And that's what we have to address. The, the subjective experience of this unity that is an objective fact. And the Bible is underscoring the importance, the, the uh, uh, importance of unity, the importance of togetherness, the importance of oneness. That brotherly unity, as the psalmist put it in Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Like, it is good, it is right. 
It is essential because the church is the body of Christ and the body is together. What I want you to grasp today, and I'm going to take you know, one nail and drive it home over and over again. Here it is. If you're a Christian today, work hard to guard the unity that God has granted. Work hard to guard the unity that God has granted. And we're just going to break down this verse phrase by phrase as we make our way through it. But first idea in this phrase I'm giving you is work hard to guard the unity. Work hard to guard the unity. This verse says, be eager to maintain. It's the idea of diligence. Make every effort. Earnest, haste. It literally is hurry to do what is right. How many kids in here, their, their parents said to them this week, I need you to go make your bed right now, and you jumped up. Some of you are like, oh, I did it before. They didn't even have to ask me. I'm perfect, right? How many of you, when your parents said to you this week, you know, I need you to help with the dishes? You jumped to, to it. Or let's just say it was your responsibility to take out the trash, and you thought about it and jumped right to it. You didn't put it off. Who did that? Did anyone even take out the trash this week? Anyone? Wow. I don't want to see that. You jump into action. This, this diligence to make every effort, this earnest haste to hurry to do what is right, to, to run to the battle to do what is right. Be diligent to preserve. That means to guard, to watch over, to protect, to keep something in custody and let no one take it. You know the old phrase, puppy guarding? Puppy guarding? You know, no puppy guarding? Some of you puppy guard your phone as if it is your life. Like someone will say, what, are you what did you just share with me? Oh, let me see. You're like, no, 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 you can't touch it. You just have to see it. You can't touch my phone. Or you're at the beach and you're like, oh, uh, no one can touch my stuff. Or maybe you're the person that writes their name on everything with a Sharpie because you got to guard everything that you own. Like an armed guard. You ever seen an armed guard? I'm really glad that some of you are armed in here. I'm always feeling good when I'm preaching and I know some people are armed. But have you ever seen an armed guard? What, what do they do? What does an armed guard do? Guards things. With a gun. And you know, what, you know what they're saying to you without saying a word? Oh, no, you don't. You're not taking this. I'm guarding it. So take pains to maintain the unity with a real faith evidenced by this zeal. This literally is a verb that means this. Be especially conscientious about fulfilling your responsibility. Be especially conscientious in fulfilling your obligation. Make every effort. Be busy. Be eager. Make haste to do it. Be zealously engaged in it. Make every effort. Like, be quick to the work. But do it carefully. Do it carefully. Endeavoring. Spare no effort. Do your best. And, and he's literally saying, like, intensify your efforts. Intensify your efforts. He's used this kind of wording elsewhere when he's telling people, make every effort to come to me, to encourage me, to help me in my journey. 
Peter uses a similar word. He says, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. If you're a Christian, you should be thinking all the time about the gospel. You should be thinking, wow, Jesus chose me before the foundation of the world. I didn't save myself. I didn't make myself born again. I didn't do this. I didn't, I didn't look for it. I didn't choose it. God gifted me, granted me grace. I, be, I believed. Make your calling and election sure. No. And, and then, but he also goes on and says, make sure your life matches what God did. Peter says, be found spotless and blameless before God. So these words are used, and they're very strong. And what, what, is, what is being told to the church very clearly is you energetically maintain the unity despite the differences. You think of Jew and Gentile mixing it up in the, the new body of Christ. But, but then you've got many Christians working too hard, staying disunified. Nursing wounds, pointing fingers, working hard at keeping unity intact means that you're going to go out and actually mend fences, not break them down. Like if you're on a football team, you shouldn't be tackling one another. This is bowl season right now. There's like 155 bowls. Practice for next year. And the football team shouldn't be tackling each other. What Paul's telling the church is, you be jealous for the unity. You love the unity. Don't let anyone mess it up. You guard it at all costs with your life. With your life. And that takes humility and gentleness and patient forbearance and love. In fact, if you look at the verse in verse 3, in Ephesians 4, 3 here, Look at verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So you have unity with, with, the, with the arms of love and peace wrapped around it. Guard it. John Flavel, Puritan John Flavel said, Take away union and there can be no communion. Work hard to guard the unity that God has granted. You notice it says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. Don't break the unity that a local church already has by virtue of the Holy Spirit indwelling its members. That's what we're being told. God formed the church into a unified body and indwells that church by his spirit. And unity is a gift from God. And unity doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from me. Unity comes from our union with Christ. But if you, if you would grasp this, so many Christians are walking around going, we've got to get unity, we've got to make, we've got to, we've got to achieve unity, da, da 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 blah, 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 okay? Unity comes from our union with Christ. It already exists. We're not told to make unity. We're not told to create a unity. It exists for all Christians. You must guard it. The unity of the Spirit is the unity of the church. 
what the Spirit brings about when the Spirit brings you into the church. Church's unity is brought about by the Spirit. Call it the Holy Spirit's own unity. You preserve what already exists. You don't go make up your own version. You don't establish unity. We're being told, do not destroy what you already possess. The unity is there. You must guard it and keep it and preserve it. You should have one chief concern. Your chief concern, not just today, but every day as a Christian, your chief concern should be to guard and preserve this precious unity that in God's great design has been given to his church. Not called to attain it, but to maintain it. You don't create it. It already exists. You maintain it. It's the unity of the Spirit. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us no one can, can proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord, confess Jesus Christ as Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. You don't make yourself born again. You don't regenerate yourself. You don't make yourself a Christian. God makes you a Christian. God gives you faith to believe. You, you repent and believe because God brought you to life. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, resides in us, and then you have unity with the church. Some of you are like, I can't get along with anybody. You got problems. Just like me. We all got problems. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, we cannot have Christian unity unless it's based on the great doctrines of Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. He said, if someone comes to you and says, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you call yourself a Christian, as long as we believe in God, let's just all work together. You should reply, what about Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I know of no unity except that which is the outcome and the offspring of all the great doctrines. All the great doctrines that the apostle lays down in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. The unity the church is blessed with is deeply theological and doctrinal, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And intensely practical, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. It's given by the Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's one thing to say, well, I am unified with every Christian around the world. Well, you know, you, 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 go, you go get on a plane, and you go visit some Christians on the other side of the world, and you will get along so well for the first 25 minutes until you start talking about what you think or what you believe, or, or you, bump, you bump into each other too many times. No, the unity that we're talking about here, and this is applied in every section of the New Testament, it is always assuming a local assembly of Christians. 
This is not, you know, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, some emptiness that is just some idea. And you say, well, I'm unified with all Christians. And then you look across the aisle at Grace Church and you're like, oh, I have to love those too? The unity of the church is deeply theological, doctrinal, and very practical. And it's given by the Spirit who's the guarantee of our inheritance. And it's startling beauty. When you're startled by beauty, it, it defeats disunity. The, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ in the church that defeats disunity actively lived out is this. You choosing to live what you believe. You actually choosing to live what you believe. Theological, doctrinal understanding of the truth lived out, practiced, walked actively. And if you harm this, you tread on Christ. You trample his blood. You say what he did doesn't matter. It isn't worthwhile. You see, you can't say, well, you know, me and Jesus, we're good. If you're hating your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't say, me and Jesus, we're good. And not accept the bride that his blood bought. And you can only maintain spirit-made unity by the Spirit's help. Work hard to guard the unity that God has granted in peace. Notice that. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The bond which binds together. You know what a bond is. It's a belt, it's a ligament, it's something that holds things together. The bond of peace. It's a big Bible word. It means a lot. It's the idea of welfare, it's the idea of goodness, it's the idea of undisturbed, deep, abiding sense of well-being because God is in control and all will be well in Christ. The God's Spirit already put us together when we tore down the barriers dividing various groups and gave them peace with each other and him. And on another level, the church must maintain the unity and live zealous to do so. At that level, at this grassroots level, at this rubber meets the road level, the bond is peace. The unity is kept by the bond of peace. A fastener holding clothing together, that's a bond. A belt. In English, it could just be a conjunction attaching two clauses together. It's your body, it could be a ligament connecting bone to muscle. The bond. And Jesus himself is our peace. And Paul prayed for the Thessalonians and he said this, May the God of peace continually grant you peace. Like a pump. Like a feeder pump, giving what is needed when it's needed. Like a pacemaker, just keeping things in regular rhythm. 
You find unity is important, but not at any cost. This is why Paul follows his exhortation with a confession of faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is not, oh, we're going to throw doctrine and, and theology out the window and just have unity. You know, no, you can't have unity without those things. And, and this unity would have been so refreshing to these believers, these new believers who had been so accustomed to rivalry and disunity all their lives. The bond of peace is what Christ supplies as a chain that ties the church together. Just like Paul's chains bound him to a guard. Ephesus, it wasn't known for being this harmonious, unified city. There were long-standing rivalries. And then there were long-standing rivalries between towns. Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum. Continued into the even into the second century, and there were these cities vying for claims of special allegiance. They wanted favor with Rome. They wanted special treatment. And then they hear of this peace that Jesus grants. It's not like the peace of Rome. Peace of Christ, it's like a cable holding us together. It's like a cable and a string of lights. I, about a year and a half ago, I think it was, I said, you know, we're going to have a wedding reception in our backyard. I'm going to put up some backyard lights. Everybody does that. You know, I string out the lights. And uh, got about nine buddies over. Had a wonderful time. I think I fed them burritos. Seth, did I feed you a burrito that day? You did some hard work. Intricate layout. We were, it was all over the backyard and, and all of that. And I'm thinking to myself when I'm looking at these, I'm thinking, I got a long 150 feet or whatever it is that needs to be stretched out. So I think I need something more than just this string of lights. I mean, only a fool thing is going to think, oh, you know, these lights are going to hold up all by themselves. I live in a part of Orange that can get a little windy at times. And so we got this cable. They put this cable with the string of lights. And he's come to my house in the evening, and I might even turn on the lights for you. Got a little, you know, I mean, it's, it's high tech. It's got, the, it's got the little clicker and the whole deal. A little remote, you know. You turn those things on, and you know what you're going to see? The lights. You see the lights? It's just wonderful. In fact, I was going to take them down immediately after the big event. Everyone's like, no, no, leave them up. They're great. They're great. I'm like, I don't think they're going to stay up with the winds. Turns out, it's with, you know, stood a bunch of uh, uh, big windstorms. And there's this cable running through everything that holds it all together. And you see the lights, but you don't see the cable. And it's kind of like the, uh, the way the peace of God and, and the unity he's already given us keeps it all together. And, and we would never think that we're the ones that are holding that together. Maintaining the unity. But we are fragile. Individually, we're weaker. There's been times that you know, one bulb goes out or one part of the thing kind of falls and so I have to go fix it and what have you. 
But peace is this connector that preserves the church's unity, and it's to be eagerly and energetically worked out in many ways. And you think about it, if you're a believer today, now if you're not a believer, you need to repent of your sins, turn to Christ, believe that he died for your sins in your place, you made a shambles of your life, you might think, oh no, 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 I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a national champion. By the way, we do have a national champion here, not picking on national champions. They just so happen to play for the wrong team, but that's okay. You need, if you're not a Christian, you need to believe in Jesus, trust in his finished work at the cross, paying for your sins, dying in your place, rising from the dead, promising to return, judgment for those who reject him and blessing for those who believe. But if you're a Christian today, you need to energetically work out this maintaining of the peace in the Lord's strength for his glory. And and it's going to look like lovingly putting up with each other's faults. It's going to be humble. It's going to be gentle. It won't be provoked. There's all these scriptural pointers to it. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility of mind, think others better than yourselves. This unity is caused when we think of others as lesser than us when we think we're better than others. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And we know that conflict and turmoil fractures unity. And when you're humble, you see your own sins in light of the perfections of of Christ. You don't look at the faults or for the faults of others. You, You try to overlook them because you see your own heart and you see the corruption that hides in there and the sinful motives and the evil ambitions and you see your own depravity and you even think this way you think you know surely others are more noble than me and you see each other in the light of the cross you see your family for whom Christ died a horrible and painful death so that he might exchange his perfect, righteous perfection for your sin. That you could become one truly with those enjoying a common salvation, unified in and contending earnestly for the faith once for all given. In the high view of Christ and Scripture, rooted in the shared commitment to Christ and Scripture, and hold to the essentials and not let the personality conflicts or other disputes shatter peace. This is a bond. It's a bond of peace. It's a bond that binds together like a belt, like a cable, like ligaments, like Paul being chained as a prisoner. But this is the bond which is peace. It's a big deal to God. Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross, preserving that unity, which has its origin in the Holy Spirit. Don't ruin what God gives. Don't mess up what God gives. It should be startling to us 
that bond is associated with peace. Chains were used to restrain violence. And this is not just a wordplay here. Peace in Christian community is necessary to maintain unity, even the unity that already exists. You want to ruin unity? Just be hostile to people. Just strive with others. Be jealous. Envy them. Gossip about them. Accuse them. Stay angry. And turn people against each other. Today, I have to ask you, where does the shoe fit for you? This is the, the last day of the year. You spent a lot of time this year doing things. I don't know what you did. Some of you are like, oh, I had a shabby year. Others, I had a wonderful year. It was surely the best. I don't know what you've been doing. I know a lot of you so well, I know some of what you've been doing. But you spent a lot of time doing things this year. And some of you spent a lot of time on yourself. And some of you spent a lot of time criticizing. Some of you spent time helping. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend more time in 2024 than you ever have before being a unity-guarding watchdog. Some of you are like, no, I want to be an armed guard. All right, if you got the permit, do that. Be a unity-guarding watchdog. You're not looking at everybody else, see if they're getting out of line. No, what, to do this, to, to spend more time in 2024 than you did previous, being a unity-guarding watchdog, you have to lose the judgmental attitude. Lose the eagle eye on anyone getting out of line. Just watch out for number one, okay? Jesus and his beloved bride. Far more important than your feelings. You know, hey, I got feelings like the, the, the Gnest person. But this is not about your feelings. People get their feelings hurt way too often nowadays. You need to gain a nerve for unity in Christ among like minds. You throw out the politics and the policies and the social activism and the strong opinions. And you focus on correct doctrine and practice. We believe it. We live it. Peace, the cable that holds things up, that ensures that God-given unity will not fall to the ground. Like cable and lights. Paul told the Colossians, put on love, perfect bond of unity. Then he said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be a referee in your hearts. Arbitrate in your hearts. Settle the disputes. So where do we go from here? Let me tell you where, how it should be from here on out. You need to let the word of God speak. Let the word of God have its desired effect upon you. Listen to the word of God. Let God do his work in your heart as the light of the word is shining upon all of us right now.
Like, do what it says. Like, don't reject the light of the word. I know human nature is such that we hear the word, but we're not always doers of the word. Now, we all want first-time obedience from our kids, but we want God to have to keep reminding us over and over again. Like, you know, he, when I hear it the seventh time, then I'll do it. I know what's going to happen to you and I. I'll be exhibit A on this one. You're going to be t- tempted to do the exact opposite after hearing this sermon. Let the word of God land a blow on your heart. Let the word of God leave a bruise. And don't whine about it. Believe it. Love it. You're going to be tempted to listen to this sermon and begin an argument. You might not even wait till the car. You'd be tempted to refuse to let things go, even though the word tells you to. You could be tempted to say, no, it's it's complicated. It's complicated. You don't understand. God doesn't expect me to drop it. And we wonder why our evangelism falls on deaf ears. Why the world looks at us and says, maybe not. Forget about attacking consumeristic Christianity and attractional models of church and weak theology, all the things we don't like. We have real Christians not doing the word here. And I'll be exhibit A. We have real Christians not living what the word says. Romans 12, 18 says, as far as possible, live at peace with everyone, much as it depends on you. You're the prince of peace. He rules, and he restores. Are you at peace with Christ? That's the first question. If you're not a believer today, if you're not at peace with Christ, yield now and be at peace with him. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Trust him and his sacrifice for your sins. If you are a Christian today, are you at peace with his bride And I don't mean the ones you never met. I mean the ones you know. It's no sense to be at war with those he made peace with. Don't don't be at war when you should be at peace. You live unified with fellow believers because you have unity because of your union with Christ. And don't do the fake one, you know, peace, peace where there is no peace. Like when you tell your kids, say you're sorry, and it's a forced apology. Don't make a mockery. You want to preserve genuine unity due to humble choices. Thomas Brooks said it this way, labor mightily for a healing spirit. Discord and division become no Christian. For wolves to worry the lambs is no wonder. But for one lamb to worry another, that's monstrous. And that must change today. Some of you are like, what's going wrong at Grace Church of Orange? Well, this is just life. This is life. That must change today. Like, stop keeping score. 
I don't even know you are, but I know you are. I know what I do. You do everything you can to preserve the peace. Make that objective one in 2024. Like, and, and realize this, Christian, you're not a good person. You are a vile wretch saved by the grace of God. And unity is active, not passive. I'm not just going to fall off a log into it. But what would it take? What would it take to experience the unity that exists? Not at the expense of truth. Never. But in line with truth. You know, don't suspend reality. Don't lie. Like, loving the truth and loving truthfully, what's it going to take? Well, it's going to take for you and I to reject the opposite of humility and gentleness and patience. We'll have to reject self-centeredness and harshness and agendas and indifference and, and care. Care to maintain unity such that we would deeply connect and keep short accounts and forbear. You absorb it. You forgive. You express it. And you seek peace and pursue it. We extend an olive branch, a symbol of peace. You know, in ancient Rome, the defeated used to hold up an olive branch for peace. We're looking for peace, not war. If you're a Christian today, God extended an olive branch to you mercifully. He said, I will never hold your sins against you again. I will no longer relate to you on the basis of your sins, but on Christ's righteousness. I will forgive your iniquity. Your sin I will remember no more. And we are called in Christ to forgive as God has forgiven us. I want you to have a seemingly unlimited supply of olive branches to extend to people in 2024. But what if you just had one? Who would you give it to? Lord, we thank you and praise you that if we boil down what it means to trust you, if we want to be witnesses of yours to a watching world, we want all people to know that we are your disciples, it will be because we have loved one for another. Lord, Keep us from playing a different reel. Keep us from twisting the gospel. Keep us from obscuring the truth. May our, may our faith and the bedrock truth that's founded upon drive our living, trusting you, that you would even give us the strength we need to live what we believe. We would traffic in the truth and we'd love it, we would live it, we proclaim your sovereignty, your lordship, as we live the unity you've given, that your glory would be seen in us, and that even that, that, that unity that you've given us, as we're not obscuring it, would even invite the nations to come to Christ, because then the unity of the church being clearly seen would tell the nations Jesus changes lives. That is our prayer, Lord. That is our hope. All for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Would you stand and we'll close in response as we worship. before we go and then we'll have a special guest come and pray for us at the end they don't know it yet but they do now uh, deacon nominations uh, have been happening and will affirm deacons membership will affirm deacons uh, next couple weeks we've got a grace women's conference where some of our women are be teaching uh, at the end of January it'll be out in Seal Beach uh, lots of missions opportunities we're sending 
another out uh, next Sunday, so make sure you be praying. And uh, Winter Spring Calendar is out. I want to encourage you to read through the Bible with me again in 2024, Genesis to Revelation. And I uh, want to invite my friend Tony Wood, my good buddy Tony Wood. Come on up. You're going to pray. Close us out. And uh, he is the pastor at Mission Bible Church down the road, and we're really good buddies. And he's here with his wife, Bree, who I've never met, and one of their kids. Come on. Come here. You're going to pray for us. I saw you. I saw you. You couldn't hide, okay? It's always good. This guy loves the word, loves the Lord, loves the church, and we've got a great uh, uh, fellow church right down the road that we are uh, bound together with. So, hey, good to see you. Pray for us. Pray us out. Totally. You totally caught me off guard yes. with that one. Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you for that, brother. That was incredible. Let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning, first and foremost, uh, for my brother and for uh, his passion uh, and his power in opening up your word. I thank you for the privilege this morning also of being able to celebrate and worship with this beautiful congregation, seeing it full of life, uh, the beautiful bride and all of her radiance here uh, to end one year and to begin another. Uh, and I also thank you, Lord, for the goodness of your son, as was mentioned repeatedly this morning. And all we ask that as we close one year and head into the next, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored in our midst. And that every moment of every day, as we proceed through this year, our lives would point to Jesus. We pray these things together in his name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless. Sovereign in the mind.